Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Community Broadband Bits. It's nice to be back in the office. Uh, Chris, I think you mean Community Broadband <laughs> 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 Bits. <Band> bits. <laughs> Podcast. I think they got that from... You know, the fact that we're in their ears right now. I really wonder about the sound quality. I'm pretty sure that you went to 11. I could try it again. Hey, everyone. That's Katie. I'm Chris. We have we have the largest Community Broadband Bits podcast ever today, I think, for our special year-end and New Year predictions show. Uh, Michelle was leaning forward to introduce herself. Hi, I'm Michelle. Michelle does our broadband mapping and data type stuff. Katie does a lot of research. You may have seen her working on rural um, issues and open access and whatever else I feel like assigning to her at any given time. Uh, then we have our, our two um, people who've been on the show a little bit more often. This is Jess Del Fiaco, the communications specialist with the community broadband team here. And this is Lisa, the one who has to edit this thing, who's going to wring Katie's neck. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, I can do it again if you need me to. <laughs> Maybe from the hallway. Uh, and we're at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, where we are talking about things that um, we're going to, well, I guess we're going to reflect over the, the past year and talk about what we might be looking out for in the coming year in 2020, the, the coming decade, perhaps, who knows? I think we should turn to Lisa to ask her where we should start. Well, usually what we start with is taking a look at our predictions from last year briefly to see who was correct and who was not so correct. And I think probably Jess is the one who sort of reviewed what we had looked over last year. So who was closest and who was spot on, Jess? Uh, Well, let's take a look here. I think uh, when we discussed the progress that electric co-ops might make in deploying broadband to folks around the country, we had a couple diverging opinions, and one person was very close to correct, and one person was not. I was too enthusiastic. I thought that we'd have 150 electric co-ops offering service today. I thought 20, I thought 2019 would be in a year of just a lot of getting in the ground and getting going, and it was, but not as much as uh, I'd hoped it would be. Uh, so I had, I'd said that we were going to have a push goal of 150 by the end of the year. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the only other person who made a prediction is the person who counts them up. So I don't know if we should trust her or not. <laughs> I had predicted last year uh, that we were going to hit about 90 electric co-ops with fiber projects, you know, on the ground operational. By my calculations, we are at 91 currently. So... I think we, uh, like we said last year, I think Lisa pointed this out, uh, basically all the cooperatives that we had counted as having projects announced or um, under construction, most of those got their fiber in the ground, started offering services. There were a few that um, came up that we hadn't realized were working on their projects. Uh, all Overall, we uh, kind of were on track with what we thought we were on track with. But what you're saying is that there are still many more who are getting fiber in the ground. They just haven't turned it on for our customer yet. Yeah, I think if we uh, count cooperatives that have uh, fiber plans announced or are you know working on the construction side of things, they have, just haven't turned it on yet. We're at um, about 110. And so my prediction for next year is that we are going to hit 115 cooperatives with operational fiber projects. I'm going to push a little harder. Well, price is right rules. I'm going 116. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? I think it's going to be a little bit more. I'm going to go with about one between 120 and 125 because I've been seeing a lot of articles and announcements 
Last year, you also predicted that we'd see more broadband co-ops, Lisa. Do you have any thoughts on that? I do. She was wrong. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Too much confidence. But how about for 2020? Uh, no, not yet. I'm going to give it a couple of years. <laughs> Way more. <laughs> <laughs> there are significant challenges with creating a brand new cooperative with zero revenue stream in the past. And so I think it's reasonable to think that we'll see people trying to figure out how to make it work. But as long as there's things that Lisa's written on, like the lit communities in Medina, um, the some of these other projects we're seeing where private capital is coming in, I think that takes some of the pressure off of local groups to create a cooperative uh, because they may find ways of having a network come into town without um, you know having to do a lot of the local organizing work um, around it to create that sort of a structure. So I, I think that's it's a little bit of a relief valve that has taken pressure, um, unfortunately, off of a very good model. Along the same idea of cooperatives, I do predict that we will see more projects that are partnerships between cooperatives and municipalities. Yes, yes, I certainly think that's true. I think we've also seen, um, we're seeing more and more cooperatives partnering with local companies um, and, you know, of course, other cooperatives as well to provide service. So I think that's going to continue. And it's seems like folks are getting a little bit more creative, you know, um, working out maybe like dark fiber or other types of partnerships with local companies and cooperatives. Uh, well, we touched on it a little bit there, but last year we talked a lot about open access networks and the growth we might see in 2019. What have we seen? What do you guys think will come next? This this actually ties into one of my other predictions, which I would have in my head were so much somewhat coupled, which is that I expected to see a larger city announcing a project, um, a, a city larger than Chattanooga, which in my mind expected that it would probably be some form of open access. Uh, we have not seen that. There's been no larger cities that have really moved forward aggressively. You're talking about municipally owned open access. That's right. And so I think my other thought on open access was that um, I did expect to see some more of it, although uh, we are seeing announcements. I mean, we're seeing um, there's several different towns that are working with um, entry point networks, which is the which is the vendor that worked with Ammon and is very enthusiastic about this municipal open access network approach. Uh, Reading in California is quite large. Quincy in Massachusetts and and a few others that I think haven't announced yet. So uh, that we are seeing progress in that, but uh, it hasn't resulted in any on the ground networks. You know, and I think we could see one or two, one of those. I mean, probably more likely Reading moving forward a little more aggressively. Perhaps seeing it in 2020 toward the end. Uh, but one of the challenges of doing a yearly prediction show is just the lag is more than a year from when a community gets excited to when they actually can turn on customers. And for people who track our numbers, we try to be very diligent about tracking the number of networks, not that are announced, but that have turned on. So our numbers tend to be a little bit less uh, ambitious than others that track this space because uh, we're generally just counting the ones who have already turned on. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jess, but I think I predicted more open access networks um, as well, but <laughs> just open access networks in general, correct? Well, yeah. So one thing we didn't exactly predict last year that I think we've seen this year is privately held open access networks. Does anyone have any thoughts about that going forward? Well, to backtrack, that's what I meant. <laughs> that's what I meant. <laughs> no, um, I think that we sort of had that in mind last year that we'd see some more and we have seen a few. Well, a couple. And I think that we probably will see more this, this coming year. 
I'm going to predict we'll probably see... 45. <laughs> I think we'll probably see three more, um, but I also think we might see one that doesn't progress as well as it is predicted to, as in maybe the project will fall through or it just won't happen, and that will sort of spook the industry um, for a while. But I think that it will recover. Call me Karnak. <laughs> and, um, and then we will see uh, more of those after next year. Michelle, I feel like you got to get in here with something. I do. Predict um, something. <laughs> Just so, throw something out there, whatever you want. All right. Well, I predict that we'll have the most up-to-date population, population estimates in a decade because of the census is happening in 2020. So that'll be great for my mapping and also for some of our um, numbers as well. So that'll be exciting. Predict more accurate maps. That's my solid prediction right there. Okay, Michelle, I feel like predicting that the 2020 census is going to take place in 2020 is you know, pushing it a little I think, bit. I think it's it's a great prediction. I don't actually think it's that. It's, I don't think it's a bad prediction. I I would actually be willing to bet it won't happen because this is a federal government that cannot do anything correctly. So I think it's kind of bold of Michelle. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bold to assume that our society won't collapse within the next several months. Katie, do not steal my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do also want to add that um, I think it'd be really cool. My prediction is that we'll get some access to like subscriber rate data because I think it'd be really fun to work with actual prices that people are paying for their internet and be able to do some kind of comparative analysis of that. We don't have much to work with in that area, so I predict there'll be some sort of data source that comes out this year. Is that more ambitious, Jess? It is. I'll approve it. <laughs> One of the things that, that I think is the, the most important that we track every year is this question of who will come out and try to limit local authority more in this area. And I feel like I'm the reigning champion of the correct predictions here, <laughs> in part because I predicted first last time, and so I took the, the correct one, which is that we would see very few attempts. I, I will be more bold and say that in 2020, there will be no serious, and this, that's where we'll have to evaluate whether or not this is correct, no serious efforts to preempt local governments in new ways over municipal broadband. I'm going to up that, Chris. I say there'll be none, and there will even be two states that make measures to make it easier for municipalities to build their own networks. I actually have three written on my Post-it, so... I'm going to take this one step even further and say that preemption will no longer be an issue because I'm not sure that our, the United States of America will successfully be a functioning country at the end of 2020. When we're all speaking Canadian, eh, there will be no more preemption. This is Minnesota. We basically speak Canadian. Um, yeah, I agree with y'all. I think that, um, you know, kind of like the amount of states that have preemption laws against municipal broadband will stay on the books as about, um, you know, even perhaps if you will, you know, lessen their rules or completely remove their restrictions. Um, I definitely think if anything is kind of introduced or even is passed, it'll be something sneaky, um, maybe like, you know, that we won't notice right away is targeting municipal broadband or perhaps something that's unintentionally impacting municipal broadband oh, or we'll cooperative broadband. That's our job. <laughs> <laughs> Things have surprised us before. So I think that's that's all we'll see. I don't think we'll see any like major um, municipal broadband preemptions laws um, introduced or passed next year. I'd like to see two states reduce their preemption. Um, I'd like to see 19 states <laughs> reduce their preemption. I'm going to, I would, I'll, I'll, I'll take a prediction that we'll see two reduce their preemption. Um, I don't think any of them are going to fully remove it. 
Do you want to wager on which states those will be? Well, I mean, I certainly hope one of them will be North Carolina because there's a lot of effort being put into there by a variety of group, groups, including, including ourselves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I'm certainly um, investing my energy <laughs> into trying to um, have more local freedom in North Carolina around this issue. So uh, that would be wonderful. But last year, Arkansas took us by surprise. And so I think we could see another surprise effort in, in some place that would maybe walk it back. I think Washington could be a place in which we see a lot more organizing. And, and I think just for people who weren't paying super close attention, uh, we had really good coverage of Arkansas. We had an interview with the senator who worked there to remove some of the preemption. But a year ago, none of us saw Arkansas being a place that would be removing it. I think uh, what might happen is one or two states might might introduce some laws that make it a little bit easier for municipalities to use polls um, as they deploy networks. Uh, Lisa just lost her mind. No, <laughs> I do not think that will happen. And so this will be one in which this will be a good one in that if it happens, I'll just look like a total fool because I'm going to say not one. It is down for posterity in the podcast. Uh, last year, I didn't really make any specific predictions. I had a very general one that we would see increased support overall for municipal broadband efforts, um, which I think we have seen. So I'm just going to go ahead and say I was right. <laughs> In that very vague <laughs> prediction, uh, for one reason is because uh, we've seen municipal broadband included in a few of the presidential candidates' policy proposals. Do you guys have any thoughts on whether or not the election? I know, oh. I know, whether or not that kind of attention that we've gotten this year f- from them, or you know, uh, otherwise, is that going to translate into local support? Are we going to see more movement on the ground or will that just kind of fizzle out? Is it going to be a big year for municipal broadband or not? I feel like there's going to be a lot of issues on the table. Like we already, I mean, the election already is kind of in full swing, which it shouldn't be because debate season shouldn't be like pre-2020. But I think the fact that it hasn't really made like any of the debate stage questions or anything like that, it's an easy one for them to like slip under the rug when they go into office and then like whatever crazy things they have to do when they get into office will have to be done first. But I would like it to be something that's a priority because it impacts so many other things that they would want to pass whenever whoever gets into office gets into office. Um, But I have a feeling it's not going, it might be get some campaign season attention, but then not as much in the actual agenda. I would agree. I think it is going to be a big issue in that uh, I think we're going to see more than 20 new citywide networks announced. Let me, let, me, let me rephrase that differently. I hope that we see more than 20. I think we're going to see more than 10. My prediction would be more than 10, but I, I, the language I've been thinking about is that there's a dam that may be ready to break, and and that the language is not that we would see them turn on or even necessarily financed, but I think we're going to see a surprisingly high number of cities that take very concrete steps forward to move on these networks. And I want to talk more about that in the the second half of the show as to some of the dynamics around that. Um, But I want to keep this this question focused on the election for a second. There's a couple of things that I think. I think one is that a year from now when we're recording our next prediction show, I don't think we're going to feel a lot more hopeful 
than right now, no matter what happens, no matter who gets elected, no matter what this the is dynamics a cynical are. Cynical podcast. That's but. also perhaps speaking more to our own personalities than the reality. I no, I think I think is that is that, I think there's a, a really bright future ahead of us, but I think we have some more years of darkness of working through the the technological changes in media, the fact that the media does a really poor job of covering politics, of covering a lot of issues right now, and and you know, the changes in business in business models and things like that. So I, I just think that we have um, you know a lot of reasons to look forward to the future. I think there's a lot of problems that we'll be resolving, but I think a year from now we will still be pretty worried about the direction of the country at the federal level, whereas at the local level, a lot of us will be pretty pretty hopeful about it. Um, I also think that we'll be um, probably in the beginning of a recession, which is the same thought I've had every year for the past five years. Um, I think that um, it's not really going to make any difference in the election one way or another. However, if it does come up and pe- people do become interested in it, it may spur some fake investment from the large internet service providers or some investment here and there, which may be helpful to some people, but not everyone. Um, but I agree with Chris. I think we're going to be pretty much in the same place federally in a year from now as we are now. No, I, I think that one of the dynamics that we'll continue to see is that people are locally very bullish and, and nationally very worried and, and frustrated. And I think that's just sort of the dynamic we're going to be dealing with. And frankly, I think that if the country were to embrace a more locally self-reliant type of approach, that we would resolve some of these issues. Like, I think if we made more decisions locally, people would be happier with the results, even if they didn't agree with all those decisions. And even if they really didn't agree with the people who were deciding different things in the next neighborhood, the next town over. Where are you getting these crazy ideas from, Chris? (laughs) Totally off-brand, I realize. Uh, speaking of local investments, um, no, no, no. We got to stay on the national election. You got to uh, make. You have to make an election <laughs> prediction. That's this is we're heading into twenty twenty. I predict there will be an extra day in February. <laughs> I predict that Bernie Sanders will start using Warm Duck Shuffle, the community broadband bits anthem, as his <laughs> rally music. Does that satisfy you, Chris? No, that was pretty weak. <laughs> I think that we will see, I was debating whether to say 99 or just go full out and say 100% of the discussion about broadband on the campaign trail will be about rural broadband. And there will be very little discussion of the many more people in urban areas who, yes, have something. And I don't want to in any way you know, um, suggest that we don't absolutely need to focus on getting higher capacity service in rural areas. But I think the attention will almost entirely be on that, whereas there's a lot of people in urban America, in suburban America, who are frustrated, who are unhappy, who want something better, and there's not going to be any discussion about their needs. I agree with that. I think that a lot of the candidates that have spoken about anything to do with broadband are using it just kind of as a token rural issue, um, you know, perhaps as a way to appeal to rural voters. I don't think most of the talk about it that's going to be involved in the election is going to be very nuanced. I think it's just going to be a, we're going to put all this money in this thing and it's going to be better. Um, So I definitely don't think they're going to dial down to the differences between the, you know, digital divide in rural areas and in urban areas. Michelle, what's your election prediction? If there's going to be any nuance in that discussion, they'll focus more on like healthcare accessibility or like the um, more business sense of it rather than like in 
faster broadband means more businesses will be in your area rather than the actual like more people having access means more people have access to like more things and I think that um I don't yeah I don't think there's gonna be a lot of nuance to it because there isn't a lot of nuance in general with campaign statements I think Joe Biden's gonna say something weird about 5g (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is I can't predict it but it's gonna happen a record player Oh, I was just trying to think of things to say that wouldn't I wouldn't later have to defend as not being racist or somehow offensive in some way. So let's just move on and let's not talk about the election until one year from now when we're doing this show. Sounds like Joe Biden. (laughs) So one of the things that that I was looking at when I was reviewing the show from last year was that uh, I feel like none of us saw the Missouri Spring Springfield, Missouri investment, the partnership with CenturyLink happening. And that's pretty huge. Um, I'll say again what I said probably four or five years ago, which is that the a city partnering with a major ISP in this way, as Huntsville did with Google, will fundamentally change everything, and we'll see hundreds of new networks like this. Uh, that's what I said five years ago. <laughs> that was a that was a prediction I was pretty wrong on. I um, I'm still I still think that that model is very promising, and as we see incumbents more willing to do that, I think we could see a lot more of it. And I think that'd be a very good future where cities are building fiber and leasing it, even if it's just to a large company that may not have a very great customer service um, record. That the very act of owning the fiber and and picking who's operating on it or even ideally making it open to multiple ones, is a great precedent to set moving forward into an era in which communities have more control over uh, this essential economic input and input to the quality of life. Was there a question in there? There's no question. <laughs> just, a, just musing on the <laughs> on like that we didn't see CenturyLink coming. Hashtag only midnight thoughts. <laughs> this is Chris musing. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think it would be great if, um, companies like CenturyLink continue to see city-owned fiber as a legitimate like business opportunity for them. I don't know if it'll happen. Um, I think it's more likely we'll see quote-unquote partnerships um, more along the way of how Consolidated has uh, convinced uh, <laughs> convinced a couple of uh, New Hampshire communities to uh, basically build them their fiber and then eventually give it to them. Uh, we had the we had Charter suggest this in New York, and Katie found my Person of the Year nomination. <laughs> what was the reaction of the uh, New York City, not New York City, but the city in upstate New York's um, proposal that Charter um, have the city build the network and then just give it to Charter? I, yeah, his reaction struck me as being pretty accurate for what how I feel about that. Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? I, uh, I think we have to bleep it I out. I can bleep. I can bleep. Okay, so the the town manager after oh, that's right. Yeah, the town manager after uh, I believe yeah, Charter Spectrum um, suggested that the town build it um, a fiber network and then eventually give it to them. Uh, the town manager responded with a "That's f-ing ridiculous." <laughs> <laughs> and that is the correct response to any sort of suggestion along those lines. Hey, feel free to work with Charter Spectrum, but the idea of like giving them yet more taxpayer dollars, just ridiculous. So we're going to come back with a few more predictions and uh, some more discussion about what we're expecting. But in the meantime, 
this is that time when I tell you that you have a wonderful opportunity. Your wallet is probably feeling a bit too heavy, so you should go to ilsr.org donate and unload some of that on us. Your wallet will actually be the same weight, but your conscience will be lighter because you've supported ILSR so that we can continue sub- celebrating the vulgarity of certain town managers in New York who really understand the economics behind broadband. Will I get a tote bag? Uh, no tote bags. I have a prediction for 2020, actually. I realize this is a bad time to jump in, but I predict we're going to get some ILSR swag. Oh, maybe you will get a tote bag. Maybe even a toe bag. That seems a little weirder, which would fit with us. That's what I thought you said at first. I'll donate either way. <laughs> so let me let me just end strongly by saying that this has been a great year for people supporting us. Uh, we've really appreciated uh, the donations that have come in. Uh, there is room, though, for all of you. Um, so please support us. If you can't give money or you just have other areas in which you prefer to give your money, help us spread the show. Make sure people know about it. Uh, check out Building Local Power, a wonderful show that has me hosting it less frequently if you really like the content but prefer to hear my colleagues talking more. Um, there's also the Local Energy Rules show. And I think we may have a new show or two coming in in 2020 as well. So um, check out our other podcasts at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. And, and I hope that you continue to enjoy this one. And if you don't, please tell us why. Don't just disappear. Send me a note telling me what I can do better. So let's come back now, and Katie, you were going to offer a, uh, a question or a prediction or something. I'm going to guess silly. So Illinois announced a very large uh, grant and funding program last year for broadband to the tune of about $420 million. You mean in 2019 they announced it? Yes, this yeah. year, not last year. You know, we're close. Do you think any other states are going to see that and try to also increase their investment? Or do you think uh, Illinois is going to continue to be a exception? I'm going to say that no, we won't see investment at that level anyways, maybe on a smaller scale. Which, to be fair, is it's like saying that is the most we've seen from any state that's not New York, which got its money from finding banks. I mean, Illinois legitimately raised taxes to do this massive infrastructure push. So yeah, I mean, it's it would be crazy if we saw more than that in, in the United States of America. But I do think it's more likely that we'll see more and more states establishing state broadband offices. We are definitely seeing that. And, and I think we will continue to see states doing more of those sorts of things. I mean, North Carolina and Georgia are both being very aggressive for better mapping in ways that I wouldn't have predicted, in part because I felt like it's just too costly and difficult. But in Georgia, they've found a real good way of gaining the trust of the internet service providers to get that data. If I was the king of Georgia, I might have just said, if you want to do business in my state, you got to give us the real data. But they found a way to make it work without being quite so coercive. So um, should give them credit for that. Uh, but I don't see a lot of states digging deep in part because we have a lot of states that are struggling. Minnesota has a bil- another bil- billion dollar plus surplus. It's really wonderful to live here, people. I don't know why everyone isn't moving here, except for the fact that it's frozen outside from like <laughs> Except for the November. fact that it's about 20 degrees today and we're all celebrating like it's spring. <laughs> exactly. But the point is just that even with this with this amazing amount of surplus, we're not going to see very much of it put into broadband. We're, and this is a state that's done a lot of work in terms of broadband. So states aren't prioritizing it as, as much. And um, until people vote on it, uh, that'll be the dynamic. I mean, we 
we do see some states, and I think in some states where, for instance, there's an all-blue Democratic legislature and governor, we may see more investment in this sort of thing because Democrats have tended to prioritize that more. But there's not a lot of states that, that, that have that dynamic. So after the 2020 elections, we'll be able to make more of these kinds of predictions, maybe based on the composition of the 2021 state houses. But I, I see a lot of gridlock and, and smaller state programs that are really, you know, kind of playing around the edges. And frankly, I'll say one of my biggest frustrations with our allies is that there's this continual thought of we just need the federal government to do it. We need the federal government to do it. I don't know why we bother to have cities, counties, states or anything anymore. Why not just have one frickin government and we'll all just be miserable at whatever they decide because people are constantly looking to the federal government to solve all the problems. So, um, you know, we can do better. And uh, and I hope that there's some places that, that move in that direction. But I guess the answer is I'm not counting on it. <laughs> so I, I want to give I want to give credit to both Jess and Katie from last year's show because both of you identified that we are seeing this trend of the urban areas where people have a cable option. They may even have two decent broadband options, but they're dissatisfied and they want municipal broadband. That's where I see the growth coming in the near future. Um, you know, we're going to see some of these more places. We're going to see some places that have very bad broadband moving forward, like Western Massachusetts. But I think most of the municipal broadband growth will start to be coming from these places in which people have a good cable connection by a common definition, but they are dissatisfied with the customer service, with the price increases, with the reliability. Data caps will continue to be an issue. I just I just looked this up. Um, my household with two adults and a child who doesn't use it yet, we're, we did 600 megabits in September, 650 in October, and I'm over almost at 700 in November. And we go, I don't know, five or six days sometimes without streaming video. So for the life of me, I can't figure out how other households that watch a lot of video are going to live in this era of these data caps, particularly with a higher quality streaming. So I think we're, I think those dynamics will push us in the way that that cities that have networks that the federal government would describe as good, they will be the ones that are dissatisfied and moving forward more. Thank you uh, for acknowledging our brilliance. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think that's going to continue to be a trend. I see it a lot uh, when I'm you know, reading articles or talking to uh, local officials uh, that are interested in local uh, networks or building their own network. Uh, that they cite, you know, just having that ownership and that control over service and quality and um, customer service is a really big priority attraction for them. I think you're right, Chris. Um, and I also have noticed that in a lot of the um, articles and a lot of the places uh, that are developing networks. And I think a lot of this also has to do with the people who are using the networks. We're seeing that for one, as the population ages, we're talking a lot more about telehealth. And you can't have networks that are expensive with data caps that are unreliable when you need to have it for that sort of service. And I think statistically, we do have more rural areas connected. You know, it, there's still a lot of areas that don't have any access to broadband or, you know, reliable networks. But as we keep connecting the rest of uh, rural America, the growth in municipal broadband will start to be these areas that do have um, one, two, three options already for internet access. With that in mind, um, thinking about the number of providers in cities, I think um, looking at areas of cities that are underserved currently, um, I feel like there isn't, there may be more options coming in the forefront. Um, but like, for instance, 
just in Minneapolis itself. I'm just north of where USI Fiber is installing a bunch of their fiber networks. And it'd be really nice to have like fiber in my home because my internet currently is below broadband speed at home in the middle of Minneapolis. Um, and it's a major ISP. I'm not going to name them. I think that that would be cool to see, um, do comparative studies, but also seeing the change over time of like what are more affluent areas are they the ones that are getting these um, fiber installations more quickly um, or are they more of the areas that are always been underserved and will continue to be underserved um, this isn't as easy to look at um, but I think that it would be interesting to see what areas of cities are getting those options in the future um, hopefully it's more equitable but I feel like based on the geography of other installations that's not going to happen one of the things that we learned from Doug Dawson in one of our recent podcasts was that the digital equity issue is something that a lot of these communities are installing municipal networks in order to solve. That's one of the, th the reasons why they want to develop publicly owned broadband. We've realized that the large providers are not going to do that. And prices are going up. They continue to go up. And um, digital equity is a priority for municipal networks. You know, I'll, I will say one thing, which is that in 2019, I came out, I think, feeling not necessarily better about Comcast, but relative to all the big cable and telephone companies, I feel like Comcast is the only one that is not trying to be viewed terribly by its customers. Um, Comcast's Internet Essentials program is unrivaled in terms of its scope and its and its results in terms of trying to connect low-income folks. I think there's lots of ways to improve it. I fundamentally don't think Comcast can solve this problem because there's so many greater problems that um, Comcast is not like the long-term solution of trying to make them a better company, but they are doing more than anyone else. And so I think... As I've gone through 2019, I feel like I've been less angry or harsh toward Comcast versus some of the other companies. Comcast also shows a lot of leadership in the industry of making the cable networks do a lot more. If it wasn't for Comcast, we wouldn't be looking at the ultra-fast, high-speed um, uploads that we're going to be expecting in a few years uh, on the cable networks. And I think that's really important for the future of the internet, for the future of production and things like that. So um, I think Charter Spectrum, AT&T, Mediacom, you know, those companies, um, if they disappeared tomorrow, I don't think we would lose a thing. Like there's not one part that I would be missing. If Comcast disappeared, I actually think in some ways we'd be worse off. And I and that's high praise for me. <laughs> uh, AT&T owns HBO and I would be a little <laughs> bit upset about my prestige dramas going away. Let's be clear. If AT&T disappeared tomorrow, HBO would be so much better off. Like uh -huh. let's just let's assume HBO would still be here. I I think also with Comcast that I've no when my previous work with doing digital literacy is that they not only do the internet essentials program for people who are low income, but they or elderly, but they also have um like a wide span of like classes, like online videos to like how to be literate on the internet and like make sure you don't give your information to anyone or anything like that. And I think that's another important part of internet access that we um can't always talk about because we are doing so many other things but just like knowing like this is just because people have access doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be they're more open to the world and being able to figure out how to educate people on that is also important so yes exactly those materials are very high quality and they're used by a lot of a lot of other advocates nationwide that have been produced first by comcast see folks we can be positive 
<laughs> yes. We're more positive about Comcast than we are about the future of our nation. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, so I wanted to make one other thing, which is um, Nick and Hannah both checked in with us last year, longtime contributors to ILSR and our work, both of them in their uh, final year of grad school, uh, maybe We'll cross paths with them again in the future. We have no idea at this point, but both hold them in very high esteem. Uh, Nick nailed it um, in terms of suggesting that there would be corruption found around um, FCC Chairman Pai. I I don't think it was as bad as Nick was thinking we might find it. Frankly, I think there, we may still find more in the future. But the Sinclair Media stuff where this television station was trying to um, grow and consolidate in a lot of ways, uh, where they were doing it in a corrupt manner. And and to his credit, I think Pi pulled the plug on it before it got to the point um, of of uh, being uh, something that was actually going to happen. But for a lot of us looking at it, until that got publicized, we fully expected that corruption to work. And um, so people want to look into the Sinclair media, um, the, the sort of stories around that. I feel like that fits the definition of what Nick thought we might see among some of the people around um, Chairman Pi. Nick also said that more states would be doing broadband policy. Pretty weak sauce, Nick. I think we- <laughs> uh- oh, I was just going to say something about Sinclair Broadcasting. I just read that they're pivoting to focusing on local news now for their local news stations. So that's very kind of them after buying all the local news stations. Right. Fewer of the, the must read where they decide what the local news will be. Um, I find that just odious and frustrating, although... Frankly, I, I, the more that we see people degrade television news, the better we're off because fewer Americans will hopefully watch it because it is possibly one of the single worst things of the, of the 20th century is the idea of putting news on television. It's done incredible damage to this wonderful nation of ours. Uh, but anyway, Hannah also had a prediction, and Hannah's prediction was that half of the nation have fiber to the home. Uh, Hannah was more ambitious um, than, than investors, I guess. Um, so we didn't actually get there. I mean, technically, do we know? Uh, technically, I think we do, we won't know for a few years. I would put uh, I'll put a hundred dollars on us not having fifty percent today. Come back in a few years. Yeah, and I mean, and part of it also, we again have to deal with this fact that how will we know? Because we would be just waiting until the FCC data comes out, and what we just saw was uh, was what Verizon and uh, T-Mobile, I think, were the two worst ones. But basically, a lot of the cellular carriers, not just exaggerating their territory, but increasing it by a factor of forty percent. That's crazy. Um, and, and it's once again a sign that the Federal Communications Commission is fundamentally broken. Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, I feel like we're running out of time here in our studio, but <laughs> my office, which has a meeting in four minutes. People are tapping on the door. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I feel like this is, you know, there's a, there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful. There's a lot of really good trends. I mean, when we look at the amount of rural America that is fiber, a lot of the work has been done uh, to get us to a good place we, we, we should be moving faster, but we're in a good we're going in a good direction with a lot of local investment. And and fundamentally, I feel like people are too pessimistic about D.C. I think the federal government's getting a lot of things wrong, but local governments and um, communities in general are really what's the backbone of this nation. And they'll continue to be. And we'll we'll find a way to muddle through no matter what's happening in D.C. And, and as a final note, I want to say two things. One is there's a lot of really good people in D.C. Every time I've gone there, I'm always impressed. People I agree with, people I disagree with. The problem of D.C. is a fundamental dynamic of, of all the stuff. So I don't want to say anything negative about anything. 
2019, we lost um, um, to our, our allies. I mean, um, didn't lose her. But uh, Deb Socia stepped down as the director of Next Century Cities. Um, Deb was a, and still is, a close friend. I regret not being able to talk with her every single week anymore. Um, but Deb's doing really great work in Chattanooga. And um, to all my other friends that I've been working with on this for a long time, um, don't desert us in 2020. <laughs> because have, just having Deb step down, was uh, it's been hard to deal with. And we all really miss her. So, Deb, I'm sure you're listening because you're one of our biggest fans. But um, we're, we're really glad that Chattanooga is benefiting from you. And uh, we miss you a lot. So just want to dedicate this show to you. Aww. <laughs> You know, I, I just forgot. What were we doing here? What, what, what show was this, Katie? Uh, this is the Community Broadband. Okay, just shut off the recording now, Lisa. That was Christopher with our Community Broadband Network's team, Katie Keenbaum, Michelle Andrews, Jess Del Fiaco, and me, Lisa Gonzalez. We were reviewing our predictions for 2019 and making some new predictions for 2020. And by the way, happy birthday to Katie. She was born on New Year's Eve, 20-some-odd years ago. There's still time to donate to ILSR before the end of the year so that we can continue to make more predictions in the year ahead. Go to ILSR.org donate. Any amount is appreciated and helps us continue to bring quality content along with resources such as reports, fact sheets, policy briefs, and our daily news source, muninetworks.org. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules Podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. And again, while you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 388 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a blessed holiday season and a fruitful 2020. 